I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again. It's the summer term, it's exam season. So many of you will have pupils, students, family, friends who are going through exams. So a big, massive virtual hug to everyone that needs that support, not just on the academic side, but more importantly, on the human side, because it's such a, an important time, such a, a stressful time and such an unnatural time. We know the system isn't really fit for purpose anymore, but yet we still have to go through it. We still have to support children within the confines that we have. So yeah, a big virtual hug to everybody that's having to go through that during this term. Now, today I'm delighted to be chatting to Diane Costo. And Diane is founder and CEO of Symmetry Neuropathway Training. Now, their mission is understanding that when people have dysregulated brains, they struggle with physical and emotional pain. Life is hard and relationships are damaged. Now, at Symmetry Neuropathway Training, they empower people by providing neurofeedback services and systems that help the brain better regulate because everyone deserves the opportunity to thrive. Now, Diane really is a mum on a mission, and I think you'll really understand from her story the importance of this and, and the personal impact on this. Um, and I really hope it can support and help as many people as we can, especially as we mentioned this time of year, but also just the fact there are so many people that need real help. And I really hope this is one of those ways that we can support you. Really hope you enjoy this, my conversation with Diane Costo. Hi, Diane. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always great to speak to people from around the world. And, uh, and of course, from when you're in the in the US, it's always um, interesting to get the, the differences in, in the kind of what we're doing, but also the similarities, because I think the, the main thing which often comes across is that it's it's that human to human contact, which is important, or that kind of seeing a child and, and being able to support them in, in the best way we can. Yeah. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Mark. Thank you. So why don't you start us off in terms of if you had to sort of explain that professional world that you that you live in and, and, and you work in, what what is that and, and how did you sort of get into that sort of that way of being? Yeah, well, my world is based on being a mom on a mission. You know, everything that I do started with and ends with uh, doing the best for my kids that I can. I had a younger son who struggled with impulse control and uh, really he was kicked out of multiple different school environments for many years. And we can dive into that a little more. I'm just giving you the high level right now. Mm -hmm. And that caused me to look for resources to help him because he couldn't fit into all of these different environments. And end of the story, I found neurofeedback. So the world I'm in is using technology to help the brain to learn. And that is neurofeedback. And what is it about the the technology that kind of helps that is it is it bridging the gap is it the kind of the ability to sort of communicate in a way which 
doesn't work without that talent. Just sort of talk us sort of through that process. So I call it technology-driven learning, but neurofeedback is uh, measuring brainwave activity. So you use certain devices, you put a cap on the head and you put that, uh, plug it into an amplifier and there's software that is gonna take recordings of how your brain is communicating, which are called brainwaves and that brainwave activity. So we take those recordings, that gets compared to a database to show you what areas of the brain are functioning well and which areas are not. And then using the technology, you're actually able to teach the brain to correct and to produce healthier patterns. Some people have heard of the term biofeedback sooner than they've heard the term neurofeedback. And, and it's the same thing. It's bio. It's measuring something in the body and giving the body information on what it's doing. And therefore, the body can change. So there's different forms, biofeedback, uh, raising skin temperature or um, changing your heart rate. And neurofeedback is strictly helping those brain waves learn different patterns using that technology. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I... I... In, in the same sort of way when i'm teaching some of my um my pupils sort of drums and percussion we sort of have this sort of music kind of conversation and i'm, I'm often saying oh but i should be able to get this for the first time and you know and it feels really tricky and I, and I sort of sort of use that same sort of analogy of the kind of you know when i've seen that sort of brain waves and they, they've done these sorts of tests where their people are playing music and i'm saying look your brain is on fire with all the different things that you've got to do and, and what you need to be able to do as a musician and then you start to really understand what goes on in the brain for certain activities that you have to do. And and then you start, I think for my pupils, that they, they start to kind of think, oh, right, this isn't just a question of moving my hand or moving my foot. There's there's much more going on here in order to sort of make that that obvious thing happen. And I think, like you say, when you start to see it and you understand it and you can sort of share it amongst other results of, like you say, of different people, then that must kind of really sort of, um, I, I guess sort of change the perception of what's going on and feeling like you can sort of take a next step. Yeah, it really does. And, and using that musical instrument, do you teach drums? Is yes, that that's percussion? right. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, that's a great example of what happens anytime we learn anything. I mean, your students have to practice very slow little steps, 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 step, but pretty soon they're doing it without thinking about it. The same thing happens when you're using neurofeedback. You'll be sitting in a session with a few sensors on your scalp, measuring that brainwave activity, kick back, relax, watching something that you can stream online. And the software is going to communicate with your brain. When your brain's producing a healthy pattern, there's an overlay over top of whatever you're streaming online. It'll play a little bit brighter or louder when your brain's doing what we want it to do. And it goes quieter and dimmer when the brain's not doing the right pattern. So it keeps rewarding because you want to see things more clearly. You want to hear it better when you're watching it. So it's repeating that and the brain will produce that pattern over and over. And then it's very similar to that percussion, you know, hitting the right thing, making the right move with the foot, and the right one with the hand at the same time, repeatedly until boom, you don't even have to think about it. You're just doing it naturally. So that process happens anytime we're learning anything. But it's a, that's a good analogy with the instruments of what happens throughout the neurofeedback session. And and it seems to me so much of this is is about awareness, isn't it? Because so much of what we do as children, but also into our adulthood, is is the fact on they're just sort of processes or or learnt habits because we don't think anything further. It's only when we come into a problem or we feel like we're not getting whatever it is that we're after, or or there's an illness or something like that, you start to really think about everything that you do. And I think anything which sort of helps people to to just sort of say 
think about what's going on like say whether it's a direct thing or, or like say the, the way you've just described it there in terms of like say changing what they see when they're doing it through the technology that you have then all of a sudden it all becomes very purposeful and, and I, I just love that as a concept um no matter who you are and what your sort of personal circumstances because then everything becomes much more deliberate and supportive like saying especially with the experts on hand to be able to sort of help that in whichever way they can right if you could just use that information for peak performance to become a better drum player or something that's fantastic but there are situations like my son where we didn't know what to do with him his impulse control was nil you know he had no pause before reacting from he was about five years old until he became a teenager and and really people just looked at him and shook their head we really love him but he's not following the program you need to come and get him so there are these extreme cases that we should be using this for in our schools and in all of our educational programs if we were able to identify those patterns in the brain that somebody can't just change by uh, quick decision <laughs> you know uh, and really help them physically change those patterns it can save lives my son would have been locked up or accidentally killed himself um, if had we not found this technology. And we should probably think talk about, you know, how accessible is it? You know, how, how much do you have to ask for it? How much do you have to push for it to be part of your life if you feel like you need that support? Is it something which is available as long as you know what you're asking for? Or is it not very available? What's the sort of experience with that? It's much more available now than it was like 13 years ago when I was going through the struggle with my son, but it's still not mainstream. At least in the US, it's not always covered by insurance. Um, some of the other countries tend to be more receptive more quickly to technologies like this because they figure if it works, why wouldn't we just use it, you know? <laughs> um, but we're a little slow in the US, so you do have to push for it. You have to ask for it. I cannot believe it took all of those years from when he was five until he was 12 before anyone mentioned neurofeedback to me because I was going into debt. I was putting him in uh, private school, homeschool, boarding school, homeschool again. He got kicked out of homeschool twice and military academy, any environment I could think of. No one had mentioned it to me right up until he was about to get kicked out of the school for troubled teens. And I was, you know, that's that's sad when we have something that's non-invasive that can actually make these kind of changes and save lives. And also, I think, not having the conversation about, you know, we have someone here who obviously needs help and support in some way, which my current surroundings aren't able to do. Like you're saying, when you've had multiple settings, multiple schools, multiple environments, and you're sort of still not getting the, the support or the results that you, you'd like, then you would think that then there would be that conversation of kind of, well, what else can we look at? What can we do? Is there not something that we can actually support with based on the knowledge of hopefully the people that are trying to help educate and, and, and support a child? But like I say, if it's not available or it's not on people's kind of front of mind, then I guess that's kind of the problem, which is why I love doing the podcast, because it gives us the yeah. chance to sort of, to put it front and center for people. Right. And I appreciate that. So yeah, people do need to ask for it. And in my opinion, from what I've seen and the system that I ended up developing is very user friendly and it's for newbies. This could be placed in classrooms, just like you go to English class or gym class. You should go to neuro PT class and train your brain and regulate it. Uh, it's, it's a thousand times better than kids on medications. And we don't know what the long-term effects are for that. 
So I can envision that in our future. Um, we're using technology every day and it's not always good for us. Why wouldn't we have it there available to these students to better regulate their brain and balance and calm their central nervous systems while they're in school? It would make the educators jobs a lot easier too. <laughs> Think about yeah. that. My, yeah, I had absolutely. five people retire in my son's wake. <laughs> <laughs> we tease them now, but uh, it's, it's very true. We had many people retire along the way. Yeah, I can, so I can, imagine, I can really imagine. <laughs> um, so, so take us properly into symmetry. Tell, tell us, you know, how does it work? What's the program? How has it been developed and, and, and sort of the people that you're serving or people that are able to be supported by it? Sure, sure. When I was introduced to neurofeedback 13 years ago, I used a system that was fairly simple that a chiropractor had created to, to incorporate into offices to make it easier to use. Because in the past, neurofeedback was in the research labs and universities, and it was a little expensive and hard to find the training and hard to decide what equipment to use. There's still a lot of variety out there. So what I found worked and when I launched Symmetry, I used that similar model to keep it very simple and very basic. So mom on a mission, you don't have to be a neuroscientist or a neuroguru to do this. We set it up that way. So we have the training, the equipment, the support, everything that you need to quickly and effectively help people, whether you're um, providing it in a practice or for your kid at home, we have mobile systems available. Uh, or schools and programs, I, I in therapeutic programs as well, which is where my son kept, you know, <laughs> finding making his way to. So it was important to me to try to get back to some of those programs, knowing all that people are investing and in trying to help those students that get enrolled in those that aren't cutting it in the normal public school, or aren't cutting it in their home environment. Um, so that's a just symmetry. We'll we'll help any way we can to get it out there. Yeah. So in, in that sort of practical sense, you know, is it a question that you have to go with it? Is it a question that can get posted out? Is it a question that you can kind of, through what you're doing, you're able to support people sort of, and, and can it sort of go far and wide? Yeah, it can go far and wide. Um, it just ask, you know, reach out to us, um, find a way to help, um, whether you need the equipment or you just want to partner with us and, and let us do the work. Um, just needs to become mainstream. To me, I think symmetry neural PT should be like, like Kleenex is the tissue, you know, it should yeah. just be a normal part of our lives. And that, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like say about getting it into people's awareness, it's just that kind of, ah, okay, so this is the situation that I'm experiencing. This is the kind of behavior and the kind of understanding of what I think can help this child or, or, or help this person. And therefore, like I say, this is in, in, my, in my armory and like um, in, in, in that way that if, like I say, if you've got a cold, you have a tissue, you know, if you have this, you, you have something else and you just think, all right. And, and like I say, whatever that toolbox looks like, it, it's going to help you survive and to also be able to make big progress in terms of helping that person. And it means it's always back to this kind of child focused, child centered idea of education because everybody's different. But like I say, the more tools you have, the, m the more chance you're going to be able to do that. And this just sounds like a right. way of, of making a big breakthrough very, very quickly once you understand what you're trying to do. Right. And everybody is very different. And all of those different tools that educators have in their toolbox are fantastic. The common factor, if you think about it, is the brain. And it's the brainwave activity and how that brain is communicating. So there's a lot of research on a variety of disorders that are currently just kind of being medicated to manage, you know, ADHD, anxiety, depression, 
uh, certainly the anxiety has skyrocketed. Everybody knows that over the last couple of years. Uh, learning disabilities, all of those kind of things can come down to brainwave dysregulation. As soon as you start to help that brain better regulate, a lot can fall by the wayside. So that is the common factor that I saw. Like when I first started with neurofeedback, my son was in that school for troubled teens and he was about to get kicked out of there and had no more options. He's 13 years old. I couldn't have him at home. He was putting holes in my walls and other programs already kicked him out. It would have been, I don't know what would have happened to him. When I went into that program and started measuring the brainwave activity for the students and some of the staff there, they all had a similar um, dysregulated pattern in their brainwaves. And I was blown away. I was like, whatever they want to label it, whatever letters they call it, there's a similar dysregulated pattern in these kids that ended up in this program. And, and I knew that I could help them and I did. So that was very encouraging. Yeah, and certainly, like I say, you know, the historical thing is medication or to or just a sort of a completely different world, just live somewhere else, do something different, ever being a different environment. Right. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious about, like you said, having sort of realized this and understanding how it works, how does that fit into this sense of, like, say, there seems to be more and more people that are suffering? is it an environmental thing is it a societal thing is it a biological thing because obviously like I say you can train the brain to, to do it differently so what do you think is that trigger or that starting point which is, is causing the numbers to rise i think that's a great question and an important observation because even a couple years before i the pandemic I was seeing in the brain map reports increases in anxiety in our society as a whole, what I was measuring. And I had um, six offices and we were also helping people across the continent in different areas. And we're seeing these similar patterns of anxiety going up and up. And there's a lot of questions about that. I personally think that the technology that we are using, we're creating that hypervigilance by constantly checking it all the time. And we're staying in that fight or flight mode, which will train the brain to be in that anxiety state, right? That makes sense. Um, I also believe some of the diet and foods that we have are not, you know, <laughs> as nutritious as they should be. And we have um, deficiencies that we don't know about for a long time until something major happens along the way. So I think those are a couple things. I, I that would be contributing to uh, keeping us in that kind of anxious mode. And you can only exist in that hypervigilant anxious mode for so long and the brain starts to put on the brake and it mm. starts to change those patterns from being hypervigilant to starting to block things out. And that's when you go into that withdrawal a little more of a depressive state. And then if that stays over time and you still can't handle things, you start to lose some of your cognition. You can't pay attention as well. Your memory is off. You're, you're just, your brain goes through these stages of what we call oxidative stress. And so that's, that's what we've seen in the brain map reports. And that does make sense, doesn't it? Because that's why I think it can be so widespread and like say across towns, states countries you know it's not specifically to one area or one particular thing because like say the the changing technology from like i say mobile devices and, and the way that we're living our lives is a global thing you know the, just the, you know, right. the billions of devices that are out there it affects everybody in in in, in just across ev in every sort of every every continent and every country in many ways and also like I say the diet and i think the other thing is is that we also don't quite remember what it used to be like pre all of that 
um and right. and so it's that kind of bit by bit you know this year is much the same as last year except just not quite in the year before and the year before you know we don't have that kind of ah oh, right so in the 1960s or 70s or or even the 90s before some of the technology really came through or or, or some of the sort of the food related things changed that we, we can't measure one or the other except like saying we do have these patterns because we can see these numbers rising we can see lots more children who are who are struggling and and i think there, there was a conversation i had on one of the recent podcasts about the fact that so much of what children feel and and react to are things which they they don't even comprehend themselves you know it's not necessarily what they've heard or what they experienced in what you, i would call directly you know because they, i've heard this happening therefore i feel anxious about it it's just a general feeling like i say it might be about your family it might be within the school setting it might be societal it might be news related and, and that's another thing isn't it in terms of just being hit all the time by by so much stuff that's going on around the world and I, you can understand why, why that's the case, you know. Right, yeah. And you have such an interesting point that brought to my attention that, that um, generations in the past maybe didn't always adopt the everything along the way. And they would remember what it was like before that. And they would talk about what it was like before that. And now, I don't go out often, but I was literally in a restaurant the other day and I saw like somebody in their 70s sitting there on their phone over dinner with their spouse and i was like so even our um, older generation is adopting this technology and the kids are left not having that interaction eye to eye interaction as much right because everybody's constantly checking on something more frequently than than the young kids had ever been exposed to in the past from generations above i mean couple decades ago that wouldn't have been the case at least for the grandparents right and now it's happening all the way up and i think the thing is is that just by saying get off your phone or you know have limited time on social media or however you want to to, to put it um unless you understand what that's doing like you said if you understand that sort of fight or flight mode if you understand the anxieties linked to that the, the phobia or, the, or whatever it happens to be you have to really not only hear it and understand it but i think you kind of have to live it um in that sense of you know not having your phone around or, or having an amount of time where you can really feel the difference of those things happening and i think that's really hard for young people but it's certainly one of the things that i think we've done as parents was that kind of you know definitely no phones at dinner that kind of scenario and also making sure that maybe some of the things that you can control in your life happen to to create that atmosphere almost organically you know so well um you know supporting their sporting endeavors and those sorts of things well they're not on their phone when they're playing a match or when they're training or or you know having conversations in the car which means they're not on their phone without saying don't do it because you right. kind of know that they, they want to do it because their friends are there and it, all, that's just the way it is. But if you can create enough situations and enough breaks and enough changing based on a real understanding, if we think this is a good idea for a particular reason, then you sort of have a little bit of a chance to kind of set an environment which is maybe more supportive in some ways or another. But it takes an awful lot of work and an awful lot of understanding. And I think just being aware is something which many people aren't. And even if you are aware, it's still incredibly difficult to do. It is. We've gamified everything and we've we've decided that we're okay, you know, with 
basically being addicted to it. And I'm not anti-technology. I'm using it to help people. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> totally yeah. against it. Um, but sometimes even for myself, I'm like, okay, I can't think about anything else. I just want to shut my brain off and watch some goofy show on Netflix. And, and then I'll have to make that conscious decision. If I'm going to take the time to do this, I might as well stick a couple sensors on my scalp and help my brain better regulate while I'm doing it. Um, and, and that's made a huge difference even in my life, like with my sleep cycle, restoring it uh, and, and helping me um, heal has been huge. So those are the kind of little shifts that I would like to see us do with technology. So yeah, we are going to watch a movie here and there, but let's, let's use what we can to actually help, you know? And, and, Take me a little bit into into how that technology works, because I'm I'm curious, and, and I, I think I can't quite fully picture it in my mind in terms of of that relationship. Like you said, when when there's sort of positive interactions going on or positive things which are helping and then are rewarded in changing those things, what is the technology in that? How, how does that kind of work? Yeah. So when we're they're actually in a session, a neurofeedback session, there'll be a few sensors on the scalp, one to two, usually when they're doing it at home, we'll do maybe up to four sites if you're in an office. And that's constantly measuring that brainwave activity and analyzing it in the software. And the software said, according to whatever we figured out in that map, that that brain needs to learn. Um, so there's sometimes left to right patterns or just let's say it's just increasing one specific brainwave at a little bit in the center. That's what neurofeedback was founded on with a study. So every time they would produce more of that specific brainwave frequency, whatever show they're watching will play a little bit brighter and louder. And, and when that brain doesn't produce that frequency, it'll go quieter and softer. So it's rewarding the brain. Like when you wake up in the morning, your eyes naturally focus. And if you're hearing whispers or a sound outside of your door that's closed, you're, you tune in. That's how we are. Uh, so that's all is necessary. The brain will figure out what pattern it has to produce to see that in a better resolution. And it seems hard to believe unless you're doing it. Uh, but think about the fact that they did this with cats in the 60s. They were able to measure brainwave activity on a cat. And when they produced a little half second burst of this brainwave frequency that when they were like still alert and focused, it's called SMR, um, they would give them that little bit of milk and broth every time they produced that. And those cats were able to increase the amount of that specific brainwave frequency. It changed the structure and the function of their brain. Yeah, I, I, I see. So in, mm -hmm. in terms of the amount of sessions you need or how, how you sort of work with it, am mm -hmm. I right in thinking to begin with, you kind of need, like, say, some analysis in terms of seeing what's actually going on pre-training anything and then from there you can use that information to, to, to make it different in a number of sessions after. Correct yeah it's preferred like we do biopsychosocial assessments and we do that brain mapping where we're going to look at multiple sites on the brain with your eyes closed and then eyes open that's our assessment there are some people that will do neurofeedback without that um, because there have been protocols around like when I was helping my son 13 years ago we didn't even have the mapping so there are ways to do it without but it's preferred now since we can map out the brain, why not just do that? So you do have those assessments and then based on that information, there are certain things that we know the brain should be doing at certain times. And we just encourage those healthier patterns in the brain. It's not like you go and you put a sensor and you're gonna, you're gonna do 10 sessions and, 
and all of a sudden that area of your brain's going to be fixed. The brain's too complicated. So it's it's not a quick fix or a magic pill. I prefer people to have 40 sessions and a typical time of a session is, is about 30 minutes. So I want them to get in at that 40. The science says that 20 creates permanent change in the gray and white matter, but with our environment and our diets and all of that, I really prefer to see at least 40 sessions. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the word healing before. Um, and, and is that a good way to think about this? Is the fact that, you know, something isn't working as it was set out to work and what we're doing or what you're doing here rather rather than we um is like say is just retraining it remapping it being able to understand how that's doing but do you sort of see it and they're able to sort of speak about it in that kind of almost like a reset back to that sort of natural form of, of what what it should be doing and therefore that sort of sense of healing and and sort of i guess going back to i don't know zero as it were is a good way of looking at it I try not to, I try to stay away from the word healing, of course, um, but better regulating is the best way to think of it. The brain is always firing and communicating in different ways. And there are things that disrupt it. Stress, drugs, toxin, injuries, bumps to the head will disrupt that communication. And the whole goal of neurofeedback is to just help that brain better regulate and, and coach it back towards the more normal, healthy patterns. And when you do that, then the whole system, your whole central nervous system is tied into that communication that's happening in your brain. So overall, it helps better regulate not only your brain, but your central nervous system. And that's the point of a lot of biofeedback is to try to help better regulate your central nervous system so you're not you know hypervigilant or you're not depressed or you know whatever those challenges are so um i love the word healing but i try to try to stick with kind of better regulation of the brain as the goal yeah no that makes perfect sense and, and it's interesting you said about the nervous system and all of that and having talked about food and and that kind of thing because one of the things that i've come across recently is lots of people talking about gut health and how so much of your body comes from your from your gut and, and how that then informs everything else that's going on in your body so it makes it makes real sense doesn't it like you say the fact that so much of this is is all is all linked in so many different ways and and whatever we can do to help support those things again by that awareness uh, one can just sort of help the other as, as you move forward right every year of my life i'm learning more and more how integrated our bodies are i don't know why like growing up maybe because i'm very literal and linear or whatever i you know we think of things in components, you know, you go to the cardiologist, you go to the whatever, you have all these little different things that are like separate things. It's just not like that. I mean, it's an organism. Every single cell is is communicating together and it's all very tied together. So, you know, looking at that whole functional body, brain, gut, all of that is, is very important, even in our process. So I don't think that, I mean, neural feedback saved my son's life. And I know that because we tried all of those other things along the way. And when we were able to better regulate his brain, he gained that pause before reacting and his decisions were his own then instead of reacting to his environment. So I can see, I can pinpoint that with him very clearly that that was the difference maker. Um, but it's very hard to do that normally in a body as a whole because everything is so intertwined. Yeah, absolutely. And and how does your, or if you're able to speak about this, but how does your son articulate the, his his journey now and, and that process in terms of his sort of 
sort of education experience as it were from, from like say all those different settings to having had the the ability to go through to you know th- through yeah. the journey to to where he is now in and like, does he sort of see it differently does he see it in sort of different sections of his life or is it a little bit more of a of a, of a gray area that like say he, with the training and, and sort of repurposing what you're doing all the time he definitely went through different evolution at different sections of his life um of course i was I was the one to blame, you know, when he was getting sent to all of these different programs. Now, what are what I, you know, I wasn't handling him right kind of thing up until his young teenage years, probably. Um, He did not like being the poster child, even when he saw that his life was changing because of that. He was still such a I mean, he had so many scars and wounds, I think, from everything that we went through all of those years of him being labeled and and me thinking, you know, why don't you just do, you know, this, you know better and that kind of thing. And I didn't realize it was a physical issue for him. So he, he went through those kind of stages then. But once he did the neural feedback and he did start to gain that pause before reacting, his confidence started to come back. And so then there were a period of years where he was a tough teenager. But I knew that his decisions were his own, so I was okay with that finally, mm-hmm. you know, and we still bucked heads a little bit and went through our stuff. Then he went to the period, he's now 25, and he's one of my best friends. <laughs> like, I <laughs> love being around him, where before I couldn't have him in my home. It was dangerous at one point, and it was just, I don't want to swear, but, but it, you know, was rough <laughs> at another point. And now, like, I love being around him. Um, so, and he looks back at it and he says, you know, it doesn't matter what you would have done. I wouldn't have gone along with it. You know, he can see that he was just so stuck in the rut of just being this 110% boy and, and getting through as he had to, you know. Um, but now he is one of the most disciplined people I know. And he had his first and only graduation last August and he has special forces army green beret. So it gives me goosebumps. goosebumps. He he went from literally where he couldn't be in the home. And he, I do think that he would have been one of those that are locked up or accidentally killed themselves. He was so impulsive to be one of the most disciplined people I know. Yeah. Well, I'd say that, that, that shows the journey, doesn't it? I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. And, and you touched on something really interesting there about the kind of, you know, the really sort of strong teenager, because that's, that must be a really interesting thing from your point of view that it's kind of, you know, what is this particular behavior and what is natural in inverted commas, who knows what that is, especially for teenagers as their brains are growing and developing and that kind of thing. And what is something that needs training? And, 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 and so you sort of saw it with sort of really sort of clear eyes, I would imagine in terms of, you know, the, the the real person and the change due to the training. And also, I guess, when you see teenagers and, and the people that you're working with now, you know, that kind of what's just inherently that person's personality and actually what's got slightly more, more to it that the training can help. Having that brain map report and being able to sit down with families and show them the areas of the brain, like we can see things just like that anger area or irritability lit up or or that being really hard on themselves area. And, and having an understanding of that, or if I had had the understanding that my son's impulsivity was really a physical pattern in his brain, I would have approached it a whole lot differently. You know, we wouldn't have kept bucking heads as much 
if I understood, I could have stood back and realized this is a physical thing he's he's struggling with and we need to help change that. So to me, having that information, another reason why all of the educators and parents should have access to that, we should all to understand ourselves and why we function like we do, because there really are physical patterns in the brain that lend to things like that, that don't seem like it would be a physical thing. It seems like an attitude. It seems like a mood, you know? Well, that's all brain communication as well. And, and, and having that information can be life-changing. Yeah, and I guess it also, I can imagine from a parental point of view, it's all just about my experiences. When you when you start your emotional reaction to any given situation, that starts from a different place. When you're able to think, ah, oh, okay, I'm now aware that this is because of this, or I can see how that's worked, and and those sorts of things. So that must be very supportive for everybody that's involved in that journey because you can you see it from your own different perspectives perspectives as well as actually like say in the heat of battle as it were like it can right. be like say when you're sort of locking horns exactly and and especially with this additional anxiety levels that are happening right now it comes out differently for different teenagers and kids and sometimes it it comes across and it just makes you mad, you know, <laughs> and you've got, if you had that information to stop and say, and I've had to talk to parents as hard as it is, you know, talking to them, you have to understand that they're not doing this on purpose. You know, they really have a physical reason that's freaking them out inside. And, and that's their protection mechanism is to do the behaviors that they're doing right now. So take anything you can off of their plate that's causing them additional anxiety and let's get this brain better regulated, you know, and then they have a better chance. So I think you're onto something with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think so much of it is awareness and I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, having had um, sort of three children now going through different ages of school and like you say, the anxiety, whether that's home related, whether it's school related, whether it's exam related, whether it's per perceived pressure or, or, innate pressure depending on things that you don't know it's 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 very easy to kind of have an immediate reaction to something and very hard to be able to take a breath yourself to then put it into context and like I say then make those choice conversations or those choice right. decisions about how you're going to go from there and uh, it all sounds very easy when you're just chatting about it <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> i'm glad i'm beyond oh, that <laughs> my guys are 27 and 25 now so but i remember those days and yeah, it would, would have been very valuable information to have. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, and, and in terms of your education experience, is there a situation or, or, or a teacher that you remember and, and did that or how did that have an impact on you? And, and has it sort of informed sort of the way that you're sort of now working? I have to say, I think back to high school, I had two teachers, and Mr. Garrett and um, Mr. Nace, and they both just encouraged me, I felt, to be more of an independent, um, mature thinker, even when I was in high school. Um, you know, they, I didn't feel treated like a, a young high school student. They let me engage in uh, ideas of, uh, you know, free thinking and independent at that age, I felt. So I respected that. And that makes a real difference, doesn't it? I, th I think that sense of I'm just going to school and doing what I'm told and then coming home again. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing sort of more numbing than that. And as soon as, like you say, you're encouraged to be more of yourself, more inquisitive, more creative, then you kind of feel like the rest of your world is just developing in front of you. And you just, just take that step. And it, it really is chalk and cheese. Yes. 
is there a resource you'd like to share? And it can be personal or professional, but um, anything from a podcast, a book, a video, song, but something you'd like to, to share with everyone. Well, my book isn't out yet, but we're going to get into detail, a little more of the story and, and how lay people can understand neurofeedback better and how we can help provide providers. So when that's out, I'll let you know. Um, other than that, one of the resources I sought out when I was seeking help for my son and through those struggles was a book called Healing Young Brains. I do not have it in front of me and I can't remember the author, but Healing Young Brains really helped me um, identify that there could be something going on with my son's brain rather than just his bad attitude. Yeah. And, and like I say, that's, that's a game changer, isn't it? Cause it just, <laughs> it literally just, just changed your perception. And, and, and I guess that, that sort of sense of hope and understanding that life can be different. Cause I can imagine there's only so many times you could be in that situation, like say, where you feel like you're sort of bucking together and, and not sure how that's going to make a, a difference the next time the situation occurs. Yeah. Um, and just to round off the acronym FIRE, is really important obviously here at education on fire and by that we mean feedback inspiration resilience and empowerment what sort of strikes you when when you hear those is there one that sort of stands out yeah actually um my mom every time i left the house growing up she was a stay-at-home mom um, she would say don't forget who you are and now that I think about that, that gave me such a confidence. Um, and it, and I feel maybe something to measure up to because she valued us as, as who we were. So I loved that. Don't forget who you are. <laughs> <laughs> such, yeah, such an important thing. Yeah. And like I say, and something you can really build in at every point of your life as you as you go through. So, well, yeah. Diane, thank you so much for, for sharing all of this. It, it's really fascinating and um, to sort of to see that journey and and to experience your journey. I appreciate your sort of your honesty and authenticity in, in terms of, of that. And um, I'm so glad that you're able to picture and explain the, the relationship you have now. And I, and I think, you know, I can imagine if it if we could have seen all of those different touch points through through that journey from him being much younger, then that may not have been the scenario, like you said, that you thought you would end up with. So it just shows the the amazing work that's out there and the amazing work that you're doing. And like I say, bringing this to the fore, something that we can do for as many people as we can as we possibly can. So so share where people can connect with you and and find out more. Right. Well, the easiest thing is to go to our website, which is symmetryneuropt.com. I'm sure you'll probably post it on there, symmetryneuropt.com, and give us a call at 844-BRAIN-ON if you want to discuss uh, neurofeedback options for you anywhere in the world. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time. And um, yeah, I really hope we can we can support so many people that maybe didn't even know where that support was going to be. And, and that, that's a, a great way for, for us to spend our time. So yeah, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.